Welcome to the ninth episode in the IPA's 10-part series, the IPA's Great Books of Literature podcast. My name is John Roskam, and I'm the Executive Director of the Institute of Public Affairs. In this series, Andrew Bolt and I talk about 10 of the great books of literature with our compere, James Bolt, the host of the IPA's Young IPA podcast. In this episode, we're talking about Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. The other eight episodes we've recorded are all available on iTunes, on the IPA website, and from any podcast app you choose. Pride and Prejudice is not just the original romantic comedy. It is writing as art. It has beautifully drawn personalities, glittering repartee, and all the tension of people in and out of love. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes and tell your friends and family about the show. Okay, before we jump into a discussion, I'll just give a brief plot overview. So Pride and Prejudice, first published in 1813, is the most popular romantic comedy of all time. Jane Austen's comedic look at marriage and relationships in upper English society has sold over 20 million copies and led to many film and TV adaptations. The novel centres around the courting of Elizabeth Bennet and Mr Darcy. After a tense and awkward first encounter at a dance, neither want anything to do with each other. However, as they come to know each other better, their pride and prejudices give way to genuine love. Pride and Prejudice has captured the imaginations of multiple generations due to its commentary on relationships, class and reputation. In the society depicted in the novel, a woman's worth is generated from who she can marry and without the right partner she can disgrace herself. Austen's satirical look at this, combined with the novel's statement on love's ability to overcome these things, continues the novel's popularity. Uh, But before we get into a discussion of the plot and the themes, I know we like to talk about the lives of the authors. So, uh, Andrew, do you want to start talking about Jane Austen's life? It's so interesting, Jane Austen's life, um, in the sense that, uh, well, she barely led one. <laughs> this is the, yeah, I often find with composers and, and, bi- and uh, writers, quite often the biography means nothing in one sense. Um, although, you know, last week we talked about Joseph Conrad, you know, incredible life, and that did inform his writing. I guess in some ways Jane Austen's did, but it was totally featureless. Here was a woman who was uh, born, uh, she was uh, born to a clergyman, a handsome young, a handsome clergyman, a Church of England man, quite poor, didn't have much money. Uh, in 1775, so this is just before, obviously, uh, the French Revolution and the rise of uh, Napoleon. Uh, she died aged only 41. Uh, she was the seventh child out of eight. The life that she led was so constricted. And in some senses, that makes it for a boring biography, but it also perfectly explains the very small palette that she had. For her, the whole drama of life that she described so beautifully was concentrated in the manners of people just like her, virtually constrained in the four walls of wherever they lived. There was no wider world, as it were. And their, and their lounge rooms and their gardens. And the lounge room. Well, sometimes, yeah, if they went on an expedition to the garden, that was big. Well, they went for a stroll around the room. Well, that's very much so. I mean, in, in fact, in, in Pride and Prejudice, you, you know, some of the highlights come when they walk outside, you know, with Kath, Lady Catherine de Bourgh to the orchard, and then you know, hell, hell breaks loose. But they're never on a, a big mountain. Or they're never crossing the seas. And what I find funny about uh, Pride and Prejudice is that uh, here is a book that is written in the time of and and was written 
was written during and about a time when the Napoleonic Wars were reaching their crescendo. Her two youngest brothers were in the Navy fighting for their lives uh, against Napoleon. Her brothers, interestingly enough, be, two of them became admirals of all things. Admirals. I mean, you know, it was a very successful family. And yet, even though that is happening, this great wider world, you don't hear and, a whisper think, of it in the book itself. And, she mentions a, a, a regiment. I mean, a regiment comes to the town. We'll get into the plot later. Um, these soldiers, for all we know, are just that dances and balls. One, none of them have faced a shot in anger. And all the while, the Napoleon Wars are, are And I think up. this is one of the successes of Pride and Prejudice and why the book has lasted and her other books have lasted, which is they are timeless. And we often talk about the timelessness of, of great works, but it is interesting. They can be located almost anywhere at any time because um, as many people have, have commented and as Andrew just spoke about the tumult in, in Britain politically, the global situation doesn't find much of a reflection in in the book. And similarly, um, Jane Austen's life itself, uh, apparently she wrote three something like 3,000 letters um, with her uh, elder sister, Cassandra, who she was very close to, and then Cassandra... The letters are fabulous. ...destroyed many of those letters. So there's about 120 letters left, apparently. So the case is um, that we can project onto Jane um, our beliefs, our anticipations, our ideas. She is that blank palette. And one of the things that I've been pondering reading the book and going back to her other books and and reading a number of her biographies and given we know relatively so little about her life it hasn't have stopped many biographers talking about her um is that maybe if we'd known more about her she wouldn't be quite so interesting and we've done trollop and and the way we live now and of course the publication of his autobiography after he died absolutely destroyed his reputation and i'm thinking maybe the fact that um she is this little bit of a mysterious heroine um uh has has added to her allure for us over the last 200 years i i actually don't know that there's actually much more to find out about her i mean it was a featureless life in that she never married uh she lived the end of her life with uh um uh, you know just in a household of women her mum and you know sister and niece or something or whatever it was, cousin, that nothing. Oh, no, I'd, I'd, I'd go more than that. No. Um, there wasn't her, much her, her, for her to do except walk, talk, write well, letters. Well, no, uh, she was very close um, to uh, her brother Henry, who was a su- successful banker until he went uh, bankrupt. Um, uh, she travelled. She had a, a cousin whose husband was guillotined in the French Revolution. Um, I think there's a lot more to her life that, we don't know. But it's an com- interior but, life. But, it's a, but the exterior is featureless. The interior is rich. And when you read the letters, you see a perfect match between the woman and the book. No, and in I, fact, I, the book itself seems to me the heroine, uh, Elizabeth Bennet, is in many ways Jane Austen. I just point out uh, this constrained life. She said not uh, just not long before her death, she um, she wrote about how her writing was done with a fine brush. On a little bit, this is her words, a little bit, not two inches wide, of ivory. So it's a miniature, a miniature of life, how people are revealed. You know, it's like the ocean's captured in a teardrop kind of thing. That's, that's, that's how she is. I think it's just fascinating. That she could write half a page in Pride and Prejudice on whether they're going to use the horse or whether they're going to walk. You know, it's little domestic 
uh, interactions like that, she sees so much drama and character coming through. Well, I and and I would argue that if we knew more about Jane Austen's life, and I have no evidence for this other than her work, mm. we would think less of her. Well, what's um, to know? And, and we we no, I I, I think um, there is a a bitterness. In some of her writing, I think there's a superciliousness. Uh, really? I, th- I think, uh, Andrew and James, you're starting to see where I'm coming from in relation to Jane Austen, that while I think Pride and Prejudice is absolutely in the first rank of novels and it's it's part of um, the discourse of Western civilization. it invents the romantic comedy, it invents the heroine and the hero, um, it takes the next step up from... Uh, the, the development of the novel in the in the 18th century, um, I have to put it out there, and and it's been said, uh, people are either dog people or cat people. You're either Bronte or you're Austen, and we've spoken about about the Brontes and uh, about Emily Bronte. And I have to say, as I keep reading this, I'm thinking, why am I reading Jane Austen as good as it is when I could be reading Bronte? Or Dickens, and really? your and and we and and no doubt we'll we'll discuss this. But you know, why am I reading about an etching on and a piece of ivory? Why am I looking at a Fabergé egg when I could be listening to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? Yeah, but, you know, but, that, that's well, what for me right, Jane, be, Jane Austen is. Should be Mozart to uh, no, to Charlotte Mozart. Bronte's no, 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 Beethoven. No. But I, I love love both, and I really do think. You know, most of our lives are led in in the domestic little interactions, and they tell tell so much. Hers is a study of character, morals. Anyway, but let let me just quickly go through her life. uh, I better go through her life before people know what. No, but before that, and I and I know you shouldn't be forced to to choose, and and you can like Beethoven and Mozart at the same time. You can like Bronte and 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 Austen at the same time. Um, But I I think. there's there's a, a, a narrowness and and um, a, a view of the world that at one level is timeless because love and marriage um, will uh, exist with us for some time to come. We hope, um, but it's it's a it's a, a view. It's a small view of a small world, beautifully drawn. The thing is, though, and that's going to come out in our discussion. This is a world that most women were doomed, almost imprisoned. It was almost like for the women of her class, uh, the daughters of gentlemen of no great means, uh, that was a very constrained world. Much like we sort of dismiss, uh, you know, uh, women in traditional Muslim countries as living constrained lives, you know, in seclusion with veils and all that. Her world was not much different. Where a woman's escape from poverty lay only in this, the ability to marry well. And that is a theme of this book, how a woman, Mrs. Bennett, with five daughters and no money, a a poor clergyman whose estate is entailed away to an obnoxious uh, distant relative, how is she going to get her five daughters married? And we laugh at Mrs. Bennett, all the naked stratagems and all that. But for women, it was that. If you didn't get married... The world was closed to you. That was your world. And and this is this book. And Jane Austen, of course, never married. Let me quickly go through her life so, you- so that we get some structure here. Right. So we've said she married as uh, she uh, was born in 1775, seventh child out of eight. Uh, there's only two daughters uh, to uh, George Austen, a, a Church of England clergyman. 
uh, he I think he really loved his daughter. I think Mr. Bennett in this book is in some ways modelled on him. Um, There's a lot of mother and father because she wasn't close to her mother, but as you that's say, correct. She was close to her father. Correct. And Mrs. Bennett comes as and, and, and this and, book is a and joke. Mr. and Mrs. Bennett in in the book is very autobiographical. <laughs> well, I suspect that's I suspect that's actually uh, quite right. I mean, um, he uh, the 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 uh, father, Mr. Bennett, in the book. Uh, at one stage when he thinks near the end that Lizzie may be marrying someone that she doesn't love, he doesn't know what really happened, warns her that uh, that this is... He loves her. He's, he, she's a daddy's girl, as much as I suspect uh, Jane Austen herself was. Um, he, he, he says to his daughter, Lizzie, let me once in my life... Uh, sorry, he says, um, uh, don't, don't marry uh, just... Because you're, uh, Mr. Darcy's rich, um, I, you know, if I had, uh, that's a mistake I made. That is a mistake I made, and and uh, you don't want to do that. That would be hell. And I think that's really interesting. I'm not sure that that is quite what Jane Austen's parents were like, but she is very much the daddy's girl. So um, she had two brothers who became clergymen. Two who became admirals, like I said. One was adopted, interestingly enough, by a rich childless couple, changed his name and was the richest of them all. One brother we hear almost nothing of. He went to a farm. There's a su- suggestion that he was deaf or retarded. Or, or, or it's a severe mental illness. Or, am I allowed to say retarded? I shouldn't have said that. Mental illness. Um her, and uh, as you say, her, her, her daughter, her sister Cassandra adored. They briefly went to a boarding school together. Um, she never got married. She got engaged once, but fled the next day. With she changed Cassandra. her mind overnight. Apparently. Changed her mind overnight. <laughs> she flirted with a man who was too poor to marry. I mean, this this is the thing. Money. Have you noticed how many characters in the book are introduced, and you know exactly how much they earn? It's like seeing reading a modern book, you know, and then came, you know, Mr. Smith. He was on a salary of 100000 a year. Here, almost so many people's wealth is, is mentioned. So Mr. Bennett himself, we know, has is is got an entailed estate with £2,000 a year. Mrs. Bennett, she came with a £5,000 dowry. Jane Bennett, her oldest sister, this is in the book, uh, a dowry of £1,000. Fitzwilliam Darcy, we're told, is uh, an heir with £10,000 a year. Charles Bingley, who eventually marries Jane Bennett, he inherited £100,000. His sisters have got £20,000 dowries, etc., etc., etc. What a world where people are walking around with pound signs over their head. Yeah, what a small sliver of... Society, while Dickens is talking about people starving. No, you say that. Again, this again, is I a can't, reality, I, I, though. Trollope had the same be, thing. I'm going to be a bit Marxist here, and I'm going to say it's the reality for such a small sliver of privileged middle-class semi-aristocracy that it doesn't speak to me. Well, it speaks for a lot of people now. I mean, even now, people marry up, marry, marry sideways. You know, class perhaps doesn't matter. As much I mean, in this welfare society, but the society, discussion about love and the discussion about why, why, why you why you marry someone and whether it's love uh, or whether it's money or social circumstance will always speak to people. But but Petrolip uh, was the same. We we did the the way we live now, and that was obviously written half a century later. But uh, then too, for women, you've got to think of it from the point of view of a woman. Here's a a really intelligent Jane Austen is clearly super intelligent, a marvelous observer of human nature. Wonderful talent. 
Um, when she writes, she has to publish anonymously. She's her first book, what gets about 150 pounds or something. Like that. It's not bad, but not great. Um, and she was never you... credited with a novel in her lifetime because, uh, as, as you say, all of her books were published anonymously. And the thing is, women like her, if you don't marry, you don't see the world. Her brothers are off fighting, you know, seeing the world. One went to the West Indies, etc. She's just sitting there. Well, uh, well, her brothers we... went to, you know, one of them went to, was it Oxford or well, Cambridge? It... Yes, and, and she came, and, and on uh, both her mother and father's side, um, they came from uh, a, a, a cultured and educated class. But if we're going to talk about women, I'm going to put it out there that I don't think she portrays women that well. Uh, if you look at most of the female characters, uh, like Lydia, for example, uh, some of the other sisters, uh, they are dismissed as being frivolous, as being uh, only interested in, in men, only interested in literally bonnets and lace. Some women um, are like that. Well, well, I, Elizabeth I, Bennet I mean, herself I mean, this, this, is a this, wonderful I, this character. This idea that Jane Austen presents um, strong women characters, I'm, I'm going to dispute. Jane Austen presents um, Elizabeth, who in the end sells out Elizabeth, who sits on her high horse and disdains everyone around her who then actually uh, and who is presented as this as this person saying well look i'm only going to marry for love except she then ends up at mr darcy's mansion oh, oh and, it's a and, happy yeah, no, and, 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 yeah. and sees his parkland and and sees the woods and think oh maybe i might do this no so, no, no 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 the, 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 no, ha- no. the happy the happy ending That's unfair to the her. happy ending is elizabeth bennett sells out. The strongest character in this book is Mrs. Bennett, who is worried and concerned about the future of her children. She's the only person worried, and you're quite correct that women were constrained and restricted in this sort of society. She's the only character who actually cares about what's going to happen to these people, and she's portrayed as silly and frivolous and lacking in intelligence, while Mr. Bennett couldn't care less about any of the daughters except Elizabeth. Mr. Bennett, who's never lifted a finger in his life to do any work. Mr. Bennett, who laughs at his his wife, worried about uh, the children getting married, is portrayed as this uh, hero on uh, on no, a pedestal. That, that, when when, when he's not, right. I, I would argue most people have got this book completely the wrong way around. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I saw a BBC poll, online poll, a decade ago. Prime Prejudice rated as the favourite book of all. Oh, uh, I, 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 Jane Eyre was the third, I, I Lord of the Rings in the I, middle. No, I, I, don't, I don't deny that, and I, I don't deny this This uh, Pride and Prejudice takes place in some of the greatest works of, of uh, Western literature because of her style, because of her observation. But I think this idea that um, she is some sort of feminist hero, I think, is misconceived. The well, feminist heroes in this book are the ones who Jane Austen laughs at, like Mrs. Bennet. Well, Mrs. Bennet does get a, a, a bum rap, but then Mr. Bennet, who is... Reserved, and what has Mr. Bennet done for any of the but children? But Mr. Bennet, in fact, her, the, the dad in the story, does uh, castigate what? himself at the end... Um, he, he doesn't lift a finger. He lets Lydia run off with, with an army officer. Well, he misunderstands says, the situation. But oh, he misunderstands. He the doesn't situa- take the effort to try and understand. He misunderstands the situation, but he, repro- he reproaches himself. None of us are perfect, and he actually acknowledges it. He says at one stage when uh, Elizabeth, is, his youngest daughter, has run off with a, uh, with a uh, worthless soldier, um, Mr Wickham, and uh, who Elizabeth herself 
foolishly fell for at one stage, um, runs off with her. Court's disgrace in that society, that absolutely, that court's disgrace. And uh, Lizzie's trying to console him and he says, no, Lizzie, let me once in my life feel how much I have been to blame. I'm not afraid of being overpowered by the impression. It will pass away soon enough. He recognises yeah, his own inconsistency. And I think yeah, that's and, just and he marvellous. Do, and he doesn't do anything about it. Yes, he does. He goes to London to try to find her. He worries himself sick. But the hero, of course, <laughs> is Mr Darcy. Let me just finish uh, the biography bit with uh, her literary career. She, um, Pride and Prejudice, she actually wrote very, very early, uh, when she was quite young. 20 or 21, yes. And yes. her father uh, tried to shop it around, the doting father, tried to shop it around to a publisher. The publishers wouldn't even read the thing. Uh, she wrote uh, Sense and Sensibility, which uh, in, in 1811, uh, that was accepted uh, anonymously, uh, published anonymously, uh, turned a profit, £140, so that was pretty good, got a couple of favourable reviews. And so she went back to that uh, first Pride and Pressures, first called First Impressions, rewrote it completely, and she sold it uh, for £110. She didn't want the royalties. She just wanted the money now. Which turned out to be a bad deal. <laughs> bad deal. Bad deal. <laughs> and then she wrote uh, uh, four more books, I think it is. Uh, Mansfield Park, Persuasion, um, among them. Um, Emma. Northanger Abbey, yeah, and Emma. So um, that was it, six books. Uh, she then got sick, died at uh, 41. Uh, I think Addison's disease was sort of wasting disease, which is just so sad. And died in great pain. And died in great pain. Um, in, in her sister's arms. That is so sad. And she would write... We talk a lot she, about authors dying in each other's arms and children of authors dying. It's, it's a very different world. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting, she... So, unlike Trollope, who made a virtue of writing every single day, whether mm. he was sick or anything seasick, whether he was travelling, whether it, whatever it was, he would get up and he'd write his you know two thousand words or whatever. Uh, Jane Austen wrote it first where, at the family home. Uh, they moved to Bath, and it was all too much for her. She couldn't write and all that. And when you know her father died and they moved into the countryside, you know, the household of women, there she did write started writing again and publishing it. Her father never saw her books in uh, being published. Uh, so she settled on a cottage of her brother, Edward, uh, who, who had some money. And she would sit there in a tiny little desk, probably the tiniest desk authors, authors have ever worked on, near a door that had a creak, which she wouldn't let fix, so that anyone coming by, she could hear the door creak and then cover her writing with a piece of blotting paper. So she was private that way. And, and, and it's interesting, again, like many of the authors we've talked about, she was writing stories from a very young age. Like she the was, Brontes. She was always writing, always in, engaged. And, and again, uh, and while I'm critical of many parts of, of the book, um, the writing is, is very special. It is delicate. It is careful. It is finely observed. I mean, she has a oh, beautiful... Finally. And we'll talk about this, some... Great, great exchanges, and we haven't even started on the dialogue on, on, is, and, and we haven't even started on the very first sentence of of the book, which is which is terrific. My challenge with Pride and Prejudice is is some of the themes. It's not um, the writing as as such, which is uh, I would argue, if anyone was to ponder how to write a novel, and not just how to write a novel, how to plot. A novel, and again, the point's being made. It's almost like a script. You have the ups and the downs, and you have the character development, and then you have the twists. 
and the turns and the story carries itself forward. There's a bit of coincidence, but not too much coincidence. She is a very, very great novelist. My issue is the themes that well, I, I can I, I can not connect to. But it's interesting. <laughs> you, you mentioned the plotting. I mean, are you going to do the movie? First movie and and with that marvelous BBC adaptation, Jane Austen makes it so easy for them because the dialogue in this book is spectacularly good. It is just beautifully done, beautifully realised. And all that a screenwriter need do is just great put slabs of it in the script. One of the points about um, the BBC series and all of the movies, which again has been made, which is um, all of the actors portraying uh, the characters in the novel are slightly older than they appear in, in the novel. So throughout uh, Pride and Prejudice, uh, Elizabeth is 20 to 21, Lydia is, is 16. Um, and that adds a, a special piquancy, I think, to the discussion about life choices. So you're not uh, in your late 20s, early 30s, deciding what am I going to do with my life. There you're 16, 17, 18 Mrs. Bennett in, I think, the BBC series, which I saw many years ago, is portrayed as, as uh, perhaps in her late 40s, in her 50s or even older. Of course, in the book, as Jane Austen writes, uh, Elizabeth Bennett is maybe 40 uh, and she had married young uh, and uh, Elizabeth Bennett is and her, and her sisters are having to make life choices at a very young Young age, but should we well, do well, the? Let's go. To, should let's we do go the first? Should we do the first? The first sentence. Should we do the first? Are you going to do the first sentence? You, well, you, you, the, do you, it. you mentioned the opening you, of the novel. You do it. It's you one do of the most it. famous openings it. of a novel. Uh, you know, Charles Dickens, of course, is a best times of worst times. But this one is uh, is also excellent. So it starts like this. The whole theme. I, I'm not just going to read the first sentence. I'm going to read the first three sentences because I just love the way. You mentioned the plotting and you mentioned the opening line and I think the first three sentences of this novel do it in that it puts the theme and wittily, the language is beautiful, it then puts the one of the moral dilemmas that's being The counterpoint almost to it. Yes. It's almost a little Mozart. Well, yes. Counter theme. (laughs) I will give you that, yes. And then then straight into immediate res almost a, a dialogue which the, and the, the glory of the book is the dialogue. Bang, bang, bang! You run into it. You just plunge. Boom! You know it's not. You can't. No teach one's that. spinning their wheels. You can't teach that. No, you can't. <laughs> you've, you've got it. Or you, you have. Yes. Here we go. Uh, starting with just the uh, the opening and then onto the dialogue. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be. On his first entering a neighbourhood, this truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. My dear Mr Bennet, said his lady to him one day, have you heard that Netherfield Park is let at last? Now Netherfield Park is a neighbouring grand home that a rich young man, Mr Bingley, has rented. And he comes there with his two sisters, one married to, uh, well, just a, a useless lump. And he comes with his friend, Mr. Darcy, who's much richer than him. And he's got some hold over, over Mr. Bingley through character, not, not, nothing sinister. So these rich men come into the neighbourhood. Mr. Bingley, the single man in possession of a good fortune, all the neighbours with 
daughters desperately wanting to get married off see him as the target. And immediately the plotting begins. And the whole book is about how Mrs. Bennett fixes her eye on Mr. Bingley. Mr. Darcy doesn't count because he's rated as too proud. The book is called Pride and Prejudice. He's the proud one and Elizabeth is the prejudiced one. His rate is too proud. Uh, he snubs Elizabeth. She set, has a set against him. And the whole book is about how he overcomes his pride and she overcomes her prejudice and both improve on their flawed characters. It is just brilliantly realised. In, in the meantime, of course, there's the, uh, her older sister, beloved older sister, Jane, uh, whether she can marry Mr Bingley. There's a, a relationship there gets fraught because Mr Darcy thinks that the family is not good enough for his friend. Uh, Mr his Darcy friend. interferes in something which is none of his business. He, said, he, said, he says to Bingley, uh, drop Jane because she's not really that interested in you. Well, the, no, that's right. And and But Elizabeth owns that uh, Jane is sometimes too placid and does not show that uh, interest. Well, it's none of their business. It may be, but that's how oh. humans work. That you is know, how I, humans I'm, work. I'm, I'm and the point is too, it's not just Elizabeth that. Elizabeth and Darcy deserve each other. It's also, he makes that call because of the family itself. Three very silly daughters, the youngest three, a mother who is just a screeching harridan at times, and a father who, as you say, is disengaged. And, and, and Elizabeth comes to realise, much as she loves her family, she could see why someone would get a, a set against them. Uh, but the whole thing is the working out of this. In the middle of it, it's, of course, a drama. The giddiest and silliest of the daughters, as you alluded to, runs off with Mr. Wickham as a fortune hunter. He doesn't want her fortune. He just he <laughs> just has fortune. to leave the regiment because he's not... First, he's done wrong by Mr. Darcy, and he spreads wicked rumours about what Mr. Darcy's really like. Mr. Darcy acted honourably, but his name is blackened in the neighbourhood further. Runs off with his daughter when he contracts too many debts. He can't pay, so just takes this girl who's in love with him. What the hell? And the family faces utter ruin. The daughters will never marry off if there's... And Mr Darcy comes to the rescue. He sorts that out. Uh, Elizabeth finally finds what he's done for her. She's rejected him in the meantime because he's too proud. In words that are very bitter. If she wanted to marry for money, she could have taken him because he had proposed. Yeah, well, well, part and of... she said, no, never, because the way you've talked about my family, what you've well, done to my sister, you would never. And he's stung. But there's something else about... Darcy, which is Elizabeth didn't like him because uh, at a ball he said she wasn't that good looking. Yeah, well, I don't think you would like someone who said that of you. Well, no, but then then don't present uh, this picture of feminist virtue as Elizabeth Bennet when... Uh, well, she's supposed to she, throw herself out of rich well, man no, and says no, that she's no, not but, good looking. But, but again, um, there is this emphasis on appearance, on looks, on... on Men don't on, choose on, by appearance? No, women of, don't of, pretty themselves yeah, up. Of, of, of course they do, um, but uh, Elizabeth falls for that paradigm as much as Lydia Who does. Doesn't? Oh, well, not so really. Don't, uh, no, character counts with her. Character counts. So she does. No, no, but, but she admi admitted she but falls what? for Mr. Wickham. Mr. Wickham is the son of a man who was a steward on Mr. Darcy's estate, and. He uh, uh, that that Mr. Darcy's father had said, if you 
if uh, all things go well, we'll look after you and we'll give you a living as in a clergyman. Um, but the man didn't want that. He wanted a settlement from the family, ran off, ran through the money, and then told everyone, well, Mr. Darcy Jr., because his father had died, um, he's done me wrong, he's robbed me, he was just jealous of my relationship with his father, blackens his name, that's part of the prejudice. Uh, Elizabeth falls for him, he's handsome, he's charming, he's, he's got what Mr. Darcy has, an ease of manner. Mr. Darcy is shy and reserved, and people mistake that for pride, and there is some pride too as well. And Mr. Wickham is obviously not. And, and you're right, Elizabeth falls for him, she acknowledges that as a weakness. She sees through him eventually, but yes, but then the younger sister runs off with him. Yeah, but the whole thing, the magic of it, is how that's realised. And what I love is one of the things I love about this book in how Jane Austen can say, look, here's Mr Darcy, who looks too proud, snubs Jane at a ball, uh, Jane, uh, Jane, Elizabeth at a ball. Elizabeth doesn't like him for that and for the pride and his arrogance and his reserve. She sees that as all pride. They don't like each other. You can see in, early in the book that his interest suddenly, no sooner as he tells a friend, his own friends, that she's not that pretty and all that, he suddenly realised the intelligence behind her. That intelligence gives her a beauty, he admits. Well, what, what, what intelligence? Um, she makes smart That's alec- the point. She makes smart alec remarks. That's the she, point. I mean, and they're, they're, they're witty and, and they're clever. Do we get any um, special caring from Elizabeth? Do we get any humanity? Yes. Uh, That's she, the point. She, she, she's there uh, thinking about herself all the time compared to her mother, who she disdains and laughs at, who is actually trying to do something for the family because the husband won't lift a finger. Well, you raised two questions there, and I think that they are answered in the book. Uh, where is the kindness? Well, one of the very early uh, chapters is where... Mrs. Bennett is so transparent. Um, she wants. Well, excuse me. Her, that was beautiful. Oh, I'm sorry. She cares. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I, I've really accepted that, acknowledged that. She's so transparent. So, Mr. Bingley uh, is settled in Netherfield Park, and she wants Jane to go over there, uh, having been introduced. She's got an invitation. And she says, I want you to walk over there. It's going to rain. Then, because you don't have the horse, they have to put you up. So it's so transparent as that. Except, of course, Jane going over there walking catches a terrible cold. And Mrs. Bennett is delighted that Jane, that uh, Jane, the eldest daughter, has to stay there getting nursed. Well, Elizabeth slogs over the mud to care for her sister. And that Aww. is when Darcy sees the love that Jane has, uh, that Elizabeth has for Jane. And he sees that caring. And he mentions that a couple of times in the book. He sees that this is a woman I'll with gr- heart. I'll grant you that, but maybe she has heart for one of the sisters. Yeah, well, no, she cares for them all. I mean, she's devastated. With, but they are silly. I mean, everyone's oh. got silly relatives, and you can accept no, they're but, silly but, and but, still but, love but, them. But what, but what is silly? And, they and, and, are and again, silly. And, and, and then this, this, this well, is <laughs> no, this is part of my problem that she is just so judgmental. And and again, maybe if some of uh, Jane Austen's letter, more of her letters had had survived, we would have seen how how clever uh, and sharp witted um, she is, how clever and sharp witted her character is. Um, She's judgmental. Not, She's prejudiced. The book is called Pride we're, and but Prejudice. We're not, we're not all like like that. And, yeah, and we the, can't all be superheroes, uh, no, no, we morally no, perfect no, no, beings. That's yeah, the whole joy no, of the I'm book. Not, but, no, but my argument is she's sitting in judgment on everyone else. 
Well, of course she is, but all novelists do that. No, and no you're no. sitting in judgment on her now. That's the joy. I'm of sitting life. on judgment on her because she's sitting on judgment on her characters. <sighs> but she's. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. The book is called Pride and Prejudice, and how they work out. She's not perfect. Otherwise, there'd be no and, book. And and it's a fairy tale anyway. I mean, it would have been such a. Uh, here I am talking about how Pride and Prejudice could end better. I, I tell you what, it would have been better if. Darcy, uh, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth had never seen each other. It's a fairy tale. Oh, look, I didn't like him. Now I like him. He's one of the richest I men think in it's England. Fabulous. And oh, look, there's a little bit too happens. happily ever after about it. You but know, I want, I want Bronte. I want everyone to die. <laughs> well, um, I think uh, you mentioned another thing. You know, which is so sarcastic and so. Um, because he's hurt her pride. He's mortified her pride as well. She calls him proud. He's mortified her pride. The last thing she, he have said was that, you know, uh, to a friend in, in the hearing of others, that she's not that pretty uh, and not going to dance with her at the, the ball. That's when he's first introduced to the neighbourhood. Um, after that, it becomes very clear that he he really, she's she's got him. She He's drawn to her and she never picks we, it up. we don't really know why. Well, this is the point. This is why I find this is one of the genius parts of the book. One is, of course... That she clearly does have a heart, and he she really does love sister. It. It loves well. She loves her whole family. She loves adores her father. She adores her father. She adores Jane. She adores she, her father because she her loves father ignores her, all the other daughters. No, it's not because mm. there's a. It's because of his wit, uh, his sarcastic humour. Right, that's probably where she gets it from. No, but it's an intelligent. It's not his man. hard work. It's not his caring for the rest of the family. No, but you can you can love a lazy man as well. Um, but what, the other thing is, the genius of the book is that, yes, she keeps you know, teasing Mr. Darcy, trying to take him down a peg because she thinks he's too proud. He's too reserved to say what he really thinks and he's too shy to speak. He's too proud to say, just shoot the breeze because he wants to be smart. But the point is, in their jibing, and this comes across very often with their, their, their uh, interactions, you can tell there are two very fine minds at work. In a way, look, they're in a room like Mr. Bingley's sisters clearly aren't on that plane, right? They're richer, but they're duller and they're more stupid. Uh, she is smart, sharp, and there's an attraction of intelligence. You can't tell yeah, but me. You end up with no friends. I mean, I don't. I don't think well, sharpness is the ability to to uh, uh, cut someone down. In no, the I don't mean room. cut someone down. I just mean she's, a sharpness she's, of she's, intellect. She's pretty good at cutting them down. I mean, she and, is. And, and and talking about this, and you mention um, her wit. There is the famous exchange with uh, Lady Catherine, where, of course, near the end of the book, Lady Catherine comes over and and says. Um, that uh, I've I've heard uh, my nephew, uh, oh, Mr. Darcy. This is the great of the book. This is wonderful, and, and so Lady Catherine says a report of a most alarming nature reached me two days ago, and then she goes on. Though I know it must be a scandalous falsehood, though I would not injure him so much as to suppose the truth of it possible, I instantly resolved on setting off for this place that I might make my sentiments known to you. And then Elizabeth comes back and says. Well, if you believed it impossible to be true, I wonder you took the trouble of coming so far. I mean, how awesome. Very clever. Great late night the... great late late night situation comedy. Do you want to be married to such a person? What? No, no, I'm, I'm just oh, no, I'm, I'm I just saying I completely I, 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 misconstrue that part. Uh, no, no, I, I, no, I, I want to get to that uh, no, I want to get to misconstruing that. that part. It's, it's um I'm just not sure what else there is to Elizabeth. There is 
I know this. You, you, you meet someone who you know is intelligent, even if they don't like you. There is, if you think you're on a plane, a same moral plane or the same intellectual plane, there is an attraction that comes through there. And I, I read, I, I read one of the things that attracted Darcy, and it's flagged very early on in the book. No sooner had he made it clear. I'm reading from the book here. No sooner had he made it clear to himself and to his friends, that she, Elizabeth, hardly had a good feature in her face, then he began to find it was rendered uncommonly intelligent by the beautiful expression of her dark eyes. Now, her intelligence is making her even more beautiful to him, and it's that intelligence. He wants to conquer it. It's a male thing. He wants to conquer someone who doesn't think well of him, and he comes to accept, doesn't think well of him for most excellent reasons. He is too up himself, did treat her as someone who should be glad that he would propose to her because he was rich. She knocks him back. He's not for a six. He doesn't know how to deal with this and he decides to mend his ways and to speak nicely to her inferior, so to speak, relatives. And, and, and we do hear later through the book that, in fact, Mr. Darcy is quite a nice person and it's very significant that uh, Jane takes account of what his servants say about him and they say, yes. look, he's actually a pretty nice guy and what Wickham uh, says about Mr. Darcy is false. misconceived and is false. That's some of the unwinding of it. Uh, let, let me just give you some of the lines of dialogue. I said, you know, look, in the interaction, bah, 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 and you say, well, you should end up hating someone who's... Get, taking you down a peg. But don't forget, you know, when someone does that sometimes, they've been wounded and they want you to recognise that and they want to bring you down to their level. And that's that's not to say then you hate each other. Sometimes finer minds might think, well, maybe I have done wrong and let's let's make friends. And then the, the fusing is even more intense. Uh, for instance, this is very early on, they're uh, um, doing this banter and he's realising she's not so pushover. She's, you know, we're talking about an era where women... You know, their, their virtues were in needlework or, you know, playing a song for the ensemble. So really, you know, servile kind of things. He's got a woman who stands up to him. She's a spitfire. Um, she says um, when they're uh, arguing uh, with each other, he says to her, there is, I believe, in every disposition a tendency to some particular evil, a natural defect, which not even the best education can overcome. She says to him, and your defect is to hate everybody. And he replies, and yours, he replied with a smile, is to willfully misunderstand them. And you can see in this, they're playing chess with each other. But so what? Because there's a, excite, there's a sexiness to that kind of thing. And this is worked out in the book. This well, is worked I, out in the book. Well, and, and again, this is why the book remains so popular and so well-read because those are our human interactions. Those are the things that we worry about when we come home uh, from work of an evening. Someone look as looked askance at me or my boss said this to me or I said this to someone. Uh, someone pushed me on the tram or the train. But again, to what I, I, I do not see to what to what end. Um, and and I, as I've mentioned, I have this problem with the characterization of everyone's a failure, 
except Mr. Darcy and, and Elizabeth. Mr. Collins is a sod. Oh, he's a sanctimonious. Uh, you know, we, we, we sanctimonious have, we, prick. I think those are the funny things. I mean, there are so many people. Yeah, but, you mentioned but, Lady but Catherine we, de Bourgh. Let's get on to her. She's one of the all, great we, but characters. But we, we can't all be as clever and as, as witty no. as, as, as Elizabeth. No. Uh, some of us have to have to lead our lives. Some of us make make wrong decisions, mm-hmm. and some of us don't end up marrying one of the richest men in in, in England. Uh, let's let's talk about Lady Catherine de Bourgh because you've already mentioned. Well, um, hang on, but she but, is but, a hang on, fabulous but Andrew, character. Before we do this, here's another example: another f- woman that is is caricatured and laughed at. Again, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there are aspects of her character that are laughable and the way she... And, and she famously says you know, to Elizabeth near the end, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I'm know. talking to? Well, that is all true. But I tell you what... Uh, there are it, a number it, it of fine it, women characters. There's like a, who? Well, there's uh, Jane, there's, uh, there's Elizabeth herself, there's her aunt in London who she goes oh. on a trip in the country with, who's a they're fabulous thin, person. They're thinly drawn. Well, Elizabeth isn't thin, thinly drawn and Jane is not thinly drawn. Uh, look, there are bad characters or good characters. This is absolutely correct. There's also her oh, so friend talk, who, talk marries, about who, who marries um, uh, the obnoxious... Yeah, and, and they look person. down on and, and, and Jane Austen. No, Jane goes... Uh, sorry. And, and no. Jane Austen looks down on her and, and talks about, well, how she made this deal and she knew she wasn't going to be happy in marriage. Uh, but then as, as, no, but as no, I say, well, who is thing. happy in marriage? But she's got the money. But this is the, but this is my point. One of the tragedies that she's writing about is exactly the constrained lives, almost lives in seclusion that uh, women like that face. Her friend uh, did not have. This is Charlotte Lucas. Did not have much money, right? Or even though his father, her father was a sir. She's age twenty seven. She's running out of time, so she then gets this Reverend Collins coming around, wanting to marry Elizabeth. He's got the money. Elizabeth's family, once her father dies, they've got nothing. And their property goes to Mr. Collins. And so if she really wanted just for the money, she would settle for Mr. Collins. But she considers him an absolutely pompous jackass. And she says no. Her mother is horrified. Um, there's a funny bit where... Um, her father calls her into a study and says, Elizabeth, you've got a real problem here. You've got a dilemma to face. If you do not miss, marry Mr. Collins, your mother will never speak to you. And alas, if you do marry him, I will never speak to you. And so this is uh, one of the ma- marvellous pieces yeah, in the book. Again, but her friend, again, Charlotte... Again, not really helping out. Yes, he is. He saved her from herself. <laughs> he saved her from himself. But, uh, well, not that she was going to do it. But then Charlotte marries him because that is her only hope of getting a nice, comfortable home. And for women, these were the choices they made. And she makes that choice. And yes... Elizabeth says it was not for her, and she wondered how she, her friend could th- possibly throw her, herself away, but she realises it, goes to stay with them for a month, and they remain friends. So it's not quite as judgmental as you say. Um, but let's so go, go, to, go to, go to uh, Lady Catherine. Lady Catherine. She is a fabulous character. Lady Catherine is the aunt of Mr Darcy. She believes that Mr Darcy... She, she and Mr Darcy's mother before she died, agree that their children should marry each other. The of merging course, of two of great houses. Of course they did, yes. <laughs> um, but if her daughter's quite insipid. And Lady Catherine's oh, a woman who gives advice to everybody. Another insipid woman. Right, here we go, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but some people are. 
Some people are. Look around you. Um, Lady Catherine uh, is the kind of woman that gives advice to everyone. Do you know who I am? As <laughs> Great you said. Line. It's actually said in the book. Yeah. I wonder if it's – would that be the first time it's in a novel? Let Do me, you know who I am? Uh, let, let me let me go to the let me go to the page. Oh, this is isn't it terrific, Miss Bennett? Do you know who I am? Is that the first time that phrase has appeared in a Western novel? It may well be, but and how many times have we heard it since? I what, know. What, what a what a terrific. Do you know ter- who I am? What a terrific line! I like the, the <laughs> arrogance of this woman. Like so. Yes, so Reverend Collins uh, is so pleased. He uses the word, I don't know how many times in the book, you know, that uh, Lady Catherine condescends mm. them by asking him and Charlotte over to their house whenever she's bored, where they must uh, sit there while she harangues them with good advice. Uh, I like this line. Do you like the uh, Lady Catherine is always the, <laughs> the arrogance of it. They're talking about playing the piano, right? Just the ability to play the piano, she says. Uh, there are a few people in England, I suppose, who have more true enjoyment of music than myself or a better <laughs> natural taste. If I had ever learnt, I should have been a great proficient. She's talking about the piano. If she's ever learned the piano, she'd be great at it. And so would Anne, her daughter, if her health would allow her to apply. I am confident that she would have performed delightfully. I mean, I just think it's just and, and, beautiful. And, and don't you always know people like that who oh. say that? Oh. Th- look, again... Beautifully, beautifully drawn, and and beautifully drawn in just a couple of sentences. And uh, you mentioned. Let, let's get to that uh, that bit. So, Mister Darcy has been rebuffed. He assumed that Elizabeth would accept his proposal of marriage because he's so rich. Why would she not? He says, "I want to marry you." Yeah, and he said, uh, "Sisterhood, you know." And I'm I'm doing this against my character because you know, look at your family, you know. I shouldn't uh, want to marry you, but I do. It just uh. that was guaranteed to win her over, wasn't it? <laughs> well, if it would have yeah. won, I her don't over really it. want to do it, but <laughs> exactly. Well, a woman like Elizabeth, yeah. she just saw yeah. red and said, "You know, if the, you, you couldn't have uh, proposed in a way that was more likely to make me say no." Mm. And if you'd uh, just acted like a gentleman, um, uh, this is the line because it rings in his ears. It's repeated. Uh, repeat a few. Had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner, she might have accepted him. Uh, she sends him away with a flea in his ear, making all sorts of acu- accusations. He writes back later to say, "Listen, I, among other things, I want you to know the truth about uh, Mister Wickham. Nice letter. I did not, it's a I nice did not do what you say. That's a seed of doubt." They later go to visit his property when she, they don't think he's there, and the housekeeper raves about how wonderful he is and she's starting to think what what then Lydia the youngest one of the daughters runs off with Wickham Mr Darcy fixes it he gives Wickham money on the promise that he marry the woman and so to speak make an honest woman of her so the family is not disgraced he does that all in secret Elizabeth finds out suddenly she's thinking what have I thought of him I am so wrong he thinks that she's rebuffed him for good and he's not going to make a proposal. It's so reserved. And then comes Lady Catherine in that scene that you read. And I think this is one of the great, great scenes in the novel. Where in she literature. Comes, it's it's in terrific. Literature, where she, she is so outraged that this young, poor woman is going to snatch Mr Darcy. After it's all been planned. Though that bit that you read out where, you know, how could you? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I've come here to make sure that, uh, you know, it's not true. And uh, she says, well, you know, if you, you wouldn't have needed to come if you were really certain it wasn't going to happen. And it all backfires badly. I, I just love the, the dialogue there uh, with that. But in fact, backfires so badly because she refuses her demand, Lady Catherine's demand, to say that she will never marry Mr Darcy. And Mr Darcy figures that Elizabeth is so decided in her views that had she no intention of marrying him, she would have told Lady mm. Catherine, there's no way in the wide world I'd marry that nephew of yours. She doesn't. She doesn't. And that gives him room to hope. And I, the rest follows. But I think you did skirt over something when, as you say, they go and visit the estate thinking that Darcy's not home. Uh, and again, look, this is the brilliance of Austen. Uh, there's no no denying this. And I, I, for me, this is the most significant sentence in the book. Others have commented on too. When Elizabeth sees Darcy's estate for the first time, and Austen talks about her being delighted. She had never seen a place for which nature had done more and where there was such natural beauty. And then Austen goes on, they were all of them warm in their admiration. This is the party. And at that moment, she felt, i.e. Elizabeth, that to be the mistress of Pemberley might be something. Now, again, I, I, will, I will credit Austen with this. This presents the different side of Elizabeth that I'm hanging my hat on which is she doesn't mind being the mistress of Pemberley. The world well, has just well, gone through well, the world's just gone well, through seeing like, Meghan Markle well, except, marry a no, prince. No, that is that is absolutely true, except for the fact then don't go on about marrying only for money. Don't sit in judgment of of um those who do make that transaction, who well, do uh, make don't, don't that, confuse, that bargain. Don't confuse you know, you Jane Austen for Elizabeth, or a description of the ways of the world. These are there no, are I'm many putting them. No, no, I'm putting them together. There they're, are many different the, marriages in this. I book. mean, the be the beauty of this for me is they're the one and the same. There are many different marriages and relationships in this book but, where but, money is a factor. It's just like Trollope later did exactly the same the way we live now, where you had a range of different marriages with a range of different motives and money. But the role of money is, is again, examined uh, in but, each uh, of but, them. Uh, and, and, uh, but uh, Elizabeth does exactly what she says she wouldn't do. No, she, she marries she, for love. She, no, she, I don't, she refused him at first. At first, yeah, point. And, until she goes to see the mansion. No, but and she really says, knew oh, he was this. super. Everyone no, knew he was super no, no, rich. No, no, no. But again, that's the significance of the passage. The significance that when when they went to see it, she said, "Oh, okay, no, okay." Well, she which, saw the which, beauty. We know which which is that that lovely area of ambiguity that makes this a special book. Look, look. There is no doubt that the money would console. Oh, the money. There is no doubt. No doubt. I mean, that, but that's, that's, yes, yes. But the point is she refused him when she knew he was rich and she didn't run to his arms when she knew, when she'd seen the, in fact, she was mortified, ashamed and embarrassed when she's strolling around the mansion thinking you know, he's, he's away with his friends that he turns up in front of her, one of the great scenes. But what really surprises her and turns her mind again to thinking is how, with what politeness and kindness he treats her to her uncle and aunt. Her uncle being a solicitor in the, uh, in the city who we've already seen has been despised for that by Mr Darcy's uh, connections. That is just a solicitor. Hey, uh, but he, he treats her relatives with such deference that she 
see something different in him. And I think, look, wealth, yes, that's always an attraction, but I think that's overlooking that humans are more complex than that. Well, really- which, which, which is portrayed in, in the book, which again allows us to, to talk about it 200 years later. Um, yeah, well, and uh, look, the lady. But, she, but my, my so point lady is, Catherine she's much Prince. less of the hero than people make out. Well, maybe the lady. Well, the book is called Pride and Prejudice, and there's no <laughs> doubting that uh, who the word prejudice appeals uh, applies to. So the, the the great scene. So Lady Catherine comes gambling up after this confrontation when Darcy's pro, you know rescued the family, and uh, she hears that Mister Darcy may be in love with Elizabeth Bennet, which she doesn't know. Bennet Elizabeth Bennet herself doesn't yet know. And she comes, you know, uh, storming into the house in her coach and four. Um, and the dialogue, can I just read it? I just love Jane Austen. Um, demanding that Elizabeth give her a guarantee that she will not marry above her station. She says, you have no regard then for the honour and credit of my nephew? Unfeeling, selfish girl, do you not consider that a connection with you must disgrace him in the eyes of everybody? And it's, uh, you know, she refuses to uh, do what you, what Lady Catherine demands. Um, and Lady Catherine says, you are then resolved to have him? Elizabeth, I have said no such thing. I am only resolved to act in that manner, which will, in my own opinion, constitute my whole my happiness without reference to you or to any person so wholly unconnected with me. Those are the lines that give Mr. Darcy reason to hope. And then I just love... Lady Catherine, I am most seriously displeased. Um, on it goes. This is just wonderful, this interplay of characters and the dialogue. And yes, it's happily ever after, I know all that kind of stuff, but that makes people love it even more. Isn't it good that virtue is, uh, uh, comes with a reward as well? Of a big mansion. But listen, you know, I was talking before, John, about the... I know you're damning of it, and it's oh, right no, no, I, I hope. But not, I think we've got to put ourselves. I, I hope not damning. I hope just to present a, a different side to the fairy tale of pride and, and and prejudice. Well, let's have a look at the world that she's actually trying to break out of. Um, one stage, she Elizabeth is discussing with Mr. Darcy and Mr. Bingley, Mr. Bingley's two very rich sisters about accomplished women for that time. And um, and Mr. Darcy says he knows just six truly mm. accomplished women in Britain, which is amazing. <laughs> so what is the measure of this? Um, one of his, uh, the woman who really wants to marry him, one of Mr. Bingley's sister, rich sisters, says, no one can be really esteemed accomplished who does not greatly surpass what is usually met with. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, and the modern languages to deserve the word. And beside all this, she must possess a certain something in her air and manner of walking, the tone of voice, her address and expressions, or the word will be but half deserved. And Darcy endorses this, says all this she must possess, and to all this she must yet add something more substantial in the improvement of her mind by extensive reading. So it's a very passive world. Very limited. I mean, you think how many women today? I'm not. Yeah. Go- you want me to have 
sympathy for the upper middle class of Regency England. She's not... Elizabeth is... Oh, she's not poor. No, she's not walking 10 miles every day to draw water for the family and, and chop wood and burn dung. In no, a, but we must in make our best lives as we know by the... We always yeah, compare and, ourselves and, and, to our peers. I know, a, a human happiness might be if we every, I mean, every day woke up and thought, at least we're not starving, we don't have cancer. But Yes. But humans work on envy of those around them, what they could have compared to what oh, they okay, do and, 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 and again, Austin portrays that, that envy um, beautifully. And no matter, uh, and again, Austin's skill is, no matter how wealthy someone is in the book, there's always someone wealthier yeah, well, to be jealous of too. or envious of. <laughs> well, I find, you know, talking about the manners of women and how they live in seclusion, a bit like we imagine, you know, Muslim women today... I thought it was really interesting that when Mr Bingley first comes, this is an example of it, Mr Bennett has to first go and visit him, pays respects, which he reluctantly does, so that his daughters can have entree. Mr Bingley then has to return by form, you know, the, the visit. He sits for 10 minutes, Mr Bingley, in this li- uh, Mr. Bingley sits for 10 minutes in Mr Bennett's library. It says here that he'd, he'd entertained hopes of being admitted to the sight of the young ladies, of whose beauty he had heard much, but he saw only the father. The ladies were somewhat more fortunate, for they had the advantage of ascertaining from an upper window that he wore a blue coat and rode a black horse. So they're all upstairs while this young man comes in. They're not allowed to see him. He's not allowed to see them. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? That is the society that was there. Well, no, I think it's just Mr. Bennett being selfish and manipulative. No, those, are the, no, those, that's, those, those were the way. You could not speak. Someone of a lower rank even though gentlemen could not speak to Mr. Darcy unless they'd been introduced. And, and this is at a ball. And uh, Mr. Collins, the sanctimonious preacher, the only reason he thinks he can go up to Mr. Darcy and speak, and Mr. Darcy's completely taken aback, is that he's a reverend, and that gives him access to the even gentlemen. I, I think it's the negotiation of all these manners that really is the glory of this book. And the fact that Elizabeth, if you look at those rules, how Elizabeth's fire and spark and, yes, sass and rudeness and sharpness, the things that you don't like, how that stands out and stamps her as someone that would interest sort of jaded Mr. Darcy. Oh, and, 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 and that is certainly the attraction, but I just can't get that excited about... Uh, what happens in a Regency drawing room? You know, we, we started this conversation. Yes, was, uh, no, no, we started this conversation about I've got to come down firmly on uh, on the side of of the Brontes, and I have never got past what I read years ago. What what Charlotte said about um, uh, Austin, a, a carefully fenced, highly cultivated garden with neat borders and, and delicate flowers, but no open country, no fresh. Yeah, which of course is why um, Austin was was for a number of years not regarded as uh, worth reading. Well, not not that she wasn't regarded as worth reading because she was very popular when it was first published. But compared to the emotion, compared to the romanticism, compared to the feeling, uh, this is this is uh, people restrained in petticoats and bonnets. Well, and, maybe, and, but and I, as I say, you know, sometimes it's like the world. You know, the the ocean in a teardrop. Uh, uh, a gesture indicates a world. Um, the world in a in a living room is sometimes a microcosm of the wider world outside. This is the world that she 
a woman of her class inhabited, tightly constrained, limited her opportunities. Marriage was the great escape uh, that she never had. Manners were all. And her description of that, manners, pride, prejudice, yes, it's in miniature. I, I completely agree. It's in miniature. But if the walls broke down, that is how, and you saw it, you know, it operating in the wider sphere, that is the world as it is as well. It's the world for some people. Pride and prejudice. All right, uh, that's it for this week's show. So we'll see you again in a fortnight. Thank you to John and Andrew.